Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Travel Weekly podcast. We have none other than Dame Esther Ranson on this time talking about her illustrious career in broadcast, her best holiday memories and what it was like travelling alone for the first time. Dame Esther was the guest speaker at our executive lunch themed all around mature travel, which I have to tell you she almost didn't make after she choked on her tea during our interview beforehand. Most of this was, was caught on air so you'll be able to hear it for yourself. Uh, I'm pleased to say, though, she made a full recovery and gave probably the most entertaining uh, and interesting interview I've done. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, I'm here with Dame Esther Ranson. Thank you so much for joining us on our Travel Weekly podcast. We're really honoured to have you on. Well, that's really good kind of you to say that. I'm, I'm distinctly honoured to be here because we're sitting in a beautiful room in a London hotel looking at gorgeous painted wallpaper. And I feel rather like a lady. So you should. It's very unusual for me because whatever I am, you know, I'm not, I'm a bit falling over kind of person rather than a delicate and well-bred person. I'm sure that's not true. I shall try and bring out the best to to live up to this gorgeous room. Brilliant. Okay, so for anyone who is too young to remember, um, Esther presented the hugely popular BBC series That's Life for 21 years, I think I'm correct in saying. 21 years, man and And later Hearts of Gold. Um, but you're also well known for your charitable work uh, and founded the child, uh, founded Childline and later the Silver Line, which we'll talk more about in a moment. But first, just tell us how you got into presenting. Well, um, I did quite a lot of things like reviews and cabarets when I was a student and thought that I was getting it out of my system because I knew, have always known, that I could never act. I'm terrible. The nearest I've got to it professionally was playing Dick Whittington, which was an unusual performance because <laughs> I can neither sing nor dance, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Anyway, so as an actor, I knew I would never, never be able to... Uh, but, but you see, here's, this will surprise you. I do like audiences. Mm. Of course. So, but I thought I'd get it out of my system at university. However, my father worked for the BBC in the engineering department. He always regarded the entertainment industry as a bit of a come down. He thought, you know, that the quality stuff being done by the BBC was in the engineering department. He was probably right. So, but from him I got a respect for the BBC. So when they came around the university looking for people to recruit into various roles, I applied and I got a job um, making sound effects. And I will now demonstrate. Brilliant. There is, um, there was then a serial called Mrs. Dale's Diary. And she was always very worried about her husband, who's called Jim. I'm very worried about Jim. And she was always having tea. And the noise of someone having tea is strange enough. It was a bit like that. And then occasionally it was also stirring, a bit like that. yeah. And occasionally, though I didn't do this because it was acting, it was a bit like. <laughs> <laughs> I've never choked before live on air, though I have sneezed until now. Until now, and I have burped and I have <laughs> breastfed a baby. Wow! Which made Terry Wogan laugh so much. <laughs> he was listening to it on the wireless. I was being interviewed by Gloria Hunniford. Oh, yeah. That he said, told me you had to stop and park in order to hear more. Anyway, I think, I, I think that choking has slightly disrupted my flow. <laughs> so there I was in university being recruited by the BBC into sound effects, which I did for two years, not choking too often. And 
then resigned. And the reason I resigned was that I was aware that the only creative stuff I'd done was at university and I wasn't being asked to do anything creative by the BBC. And I really wanted a job that would absorb me. Lesson in life, be careful what you wish for. Because the wicked wish may hear you and make it come true. So, there I was unemployed, hating it, and uh, the mother of a friend at university offered me a job in the BBC as a clerk. And I took it with alacrity because I hated being unemployed. And from there, I heard there was a researcher job going and applied to that and got that. And then, Bernard Brayton, a wonderful Canadian actor, broadcaster, funny man, clever, clever man, um, came to the BBC to make a consumer programme. And I happened to be in that department. And I was put on it as a researcher. And then the producer decided to put the two researchers, a friend of mine called John Pittman and me, in vision. And that was when I got my first job as a reporter in 1968. Now, if the choking hasn't distracted you too much, you will note that it was not my ambition because I thought that on the performance side, I'd got out of my system as a student. How wrong I was. Absolutely. And so, and then, so you presented <laughs> That's Life and I did. Gold. I did. And you set up Child Line. I did. Which is still going really strong. Last night you were at an event. I was. Raising how much? Well, we, we raised a million pounds. Amazing. At a ball. I don't know how they did it, um, but it was an extraordinary achievement. It will make such a difference. So that was, you know, we are so grateful. You know, charities depend on hardworking volunteers who help us in so many different ways. Mm. You're here today because you're our guest speaker at our Mature Travel Lunch with Silver Travel Advisor. And I think it's fair to say you've become a bit of a champion for the older generation, having set up the Silver Line. How did that come about? Is it a mature travel lunch? So does that mean that we have to have mature cheddar? I hope so. I, and, I and, and vintage wine. Everything <laughs> has to be... Old. Everything's yeah. old. Well, that will, that will go very well, because according to my children, everything in my fridge is old, because I don't approve of sell-by dates. Me neither. No. Yeah. If it, it smells, smells okay, yeah. it is okay. Uh, yeah. I say to my children, as long as it isn't actually growing hair, it's edible. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, here I am at the Mature Travellers Lunch. Now, you asked me a good question about the Silver Line, and I will answer it, but I will, in the interim, I do ramble a bit, sign of age, um, that um, baby boomers are getting a very bad press because it is said that they're rich and grabby and they're taking all the money out of the poor younger generation. My view is, has nobody ever heard of the bank of mum and dad? You know, and actually, if we have got a few savings and we have got children, we tend to dollop those savings in the direction of our children, in my view. But occasionally, there's a penny or two left over for travel. And I think as you get older, the idea that there are exciting places in the world still to see um, is so tempting. And I think uh, the travel trade has become aware that the grey pound is worth. You know, people used to ignore older people entirely as a market, but I think the travel trade is aware, like the theatres, you know, that the loyal customers are very often older. 
So I, I, I do do a bit, but you probably want to ask me a bit about the downside of travelling by your own, on your own, yes, by yourself. Yes, your husband passed in he did. 2000, is yeah. that correct? Yes, I um, still blame him for that. <laughs> Much too young. He was only 69. Oh, really? Ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, if I could have him back, I'd tick him off. Anyway. But how did travel help you um, after he passed? Because presumably you went, obviously, on holidays together. Always. Um, and with the children. And he and I had taken to cruising because Desi loved the sea. He ran away from home when he was, I think, somewhere around 15. And he ran to sea. He ran away to sea and became a deckhand on a tramp steamer. He told me all sorts of stuff about that. Anyway, went to West Africa. Anyway, um, knowing he loved the sea, I tried to persuade him to go cruising. And he said, they're not really, they're not real ships. You know, he called them floating blocks of flats until he went on one. And then he adored it. And because of his background in the Merchant Navy, the captain would ask him up and he'd go to the bridge and they'd have nautical conversations. And we got to love it because, as you know, the thing about cruising is that the captain takes you from place to place. You unpack once and then enjoy the destinations. So we did that a lot. But he was always, he was a foreign correspondent. He was the youngest foreign correspondent in his time in Fleet Street. So he was a very, very good traveler. And together we explored the States. Haven't been back since, not the same without him. But he'd been a foreign correspondent there. So we went to New England in the fall. We went to Yosemite. We went to Yellowstone Park. We went to um, the Deep South. We went to New Orleans. I went to Preservation Hall. Absolutely loved it. And we took the children with us around Europe. And then for his 50th, 60th, one of those big birthdays of mine, he asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to visit my sister in Australia. And he said, fine, that's easy. And I said, via the Taj Mahal. <laughs> And he said, Esther, have you ever looked at her at this? And I said, well, there's just there's so many places on route that I love. So we did it. He organized this extraordinary trip. And we went to the Taj Mahal. And we went to Bali. And we went to Australia. And we went to Hawaii. And we went to California. And we went around the world. And came back to our cottage in the New Forest. And on the way there, down the M3, uh, I said to the kids, we're all sitting in the back, of all the places you've seen, what is your favourite? And they said, the New Forest. So we could have saved quite a lot of money. Anyway, so when Desi died in 2000, I did find it very difficult to travel. I find it very difficult to go to the places where Desi and I have been happy. It's very hard. So... However, we did have a cruise planned already, and my daughter went with me, and we went to the Caribbean on this cruise. And then I began to be offered writing trips. And I love that, because it gives you a reason to talk to people, to talk to the people who live there. So my favorite was to go to the Cook Islands. And if you had a magic carpet for me now, and I could climb on it, I would go back there. And I met two wonderful women, the chieftains of whoever was in charge there. 
and we sat with flowers in our hair in a swimming pool talking about the traditions in her tribe. And then, I shouldn't say this, I came home and I said to my son, it was so wonderful to meet the original, the descendants of the original inhabitants. And my son said, you didn't. You met the descendants of the people who ate the original inhabitants. <laughs> and there is a truth in it, because I did go in the South Seas to a museum where in one of the glass cases, there were some things that looked like blackened leather soles. And they were the only bits of the missionary they couldn't eat because they came off, off his boot. Anyway, they're... Past their sell-by date, probably. Yeah. It looked a bit. They had, they, actually, they had a truth and reconciliation meeting in which the descendants of the missionaries who got eaten met the descendants of the people who ate them. And that must have been strange. Yeah. Because where was the DNA? Anyway, anyway, so, 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 you would, were you talking to me about the silver line or did you want to? Um, yes, so tell us You about, needn't. Well, well, what do you want to talk so, to me about? Tell me, tell me about how you set up the silver line, what yes. prompted it, and, yes. then, and then how travel helped you yes. after your husband passed. Two very good questions that I will try and concentrate on. <laughs> if I ramble or choke, you can stop your machine again. Okay. Silver line. I downsized about seven years ago, about 10 years after Desi died. Because um, the house had got too big, the children had moved on, and it was, I was rattling around, and it was all wrong. There were empty bedrooms and people who needed bedrooms and anything. So I downsized into what I describe as a two-bedroom flat in Little Old Lady Land, okay? Which is quite snug, like it. Except that busy day, meeting august persons like your good self in lovely environments like this. But go home, empty flat, dark flat, put the key in the door, no one to say, How, what was it like? How did it go? Me to say, well, I actually choked in the middle, which is a bit <laughs> embarrassing. Anyway, so I did what I do whenever I need therapy. I rang the Daily Mail and said... Uh, how I was feeling, and they said, loneliness, very good, write about it. Wrote about it, inundated with response from other people who felt the way I did. So, I was invited to a conference which was organized by a group of charities under the banner of the Campaign to End Loneliness, because that's what I was writing about. And I took my letters with me, and I stood on the stage having read aloud from some of the letters, which were very moving. Uh, about, from people who, I remember one from Ellen in Cornwall who said she's got a daughter who comes to see her about two or three times a week, but it still means three or four days a week she's on her own with nobody to talk to at all. And she said, I'm an optimist by nature, and often I have to be as I face another pointless day when I'm a waste of space because that's what loneliness does, destroys your feeling of self-worth, makes you think you have no, you know those sell-by dates? Mm -hmm. Makes you think you've passed your sell-by dates. And there's nobody like you and me to open the fridge and say, come out. Anyway, so I had a light bulb moment. And what I always say to people is if you have a light bulb moment, ignore it, because it will take over your life. However, I didn't ignore it. I wrestled with myself and lost, and heard myself saying, 25 years ago, 
I was standing in front of a different group of experts. They were experts in child protection. You are all experts in looking after older people. There was a different sort of problem. Then it was abuse. Now it's loneliness. But then the answer was a helpline, child line. Could it be the answer is a helpline? And they all said, yes, do it. Difficult. So I spent a year fact-finding, not realizing that's what I was doing, but there were all the experts at this conference, so I took their names and numbers, asked them if they'd got helplines or dealt with loneliness other ways and went around and met them all and went to see the Minister for Care Services and I said to him, someone sitting in your chair 25 years ago gave me enough money to hire a CEO. Would you give me enough money to hire a CEO for the Silver Line? And he did. So I got myself the perfect CEO. Uh, the minister's chief civil servant introduced me to comic relief and the lottery. They very, very generously gave us enough money to pilot the helpline and then launch it nationally. Our challenge now is that that funding has run out, so we've got to replace it. But we've just taken our two millionth call so we know there is a huge need for our service. We're getting 10,000 calls a week. It's really important. So? That's how it came about. That's how it came about. And that's where we are now. We have a, the actual helpline 24-7, 0800 4 90 confidential, free, is based in Blackpool, where lovely people listen and talk to any older person who has nobody else to talk to and fancies a chat. Can, can people volunteer to, to work? If you would like to volunteer and help us, you can become a Silverline friend. We have trained 4,000 of them already. They make weekly calls from their own home. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, and, and moving on to how travel helped you when, when your husband did pass away. You went on your first solo holiday. You went on holiday on your own. How did you overcome fears of, of going away on your own for the first time? I'm only ever, I have only ever done one solo holiday, okay. real solo holiday. The first ones I went with either my daughter or my closest friend, very often cruises, and wonderful memories I have of those. Or I went as a journalist. Uh, I went on a coach trip in Canada, which I adored, full of Australians. It was absolutely great. Had my birthday, they all sang an Australian version of Happy Birthday. It was lovely. I fell in love deeply with Canada, which was unknown to me. Uh, I went on one solo holiday. And who was that with? It was with a really good cruise company. And from my point of view, it was a total failure. Because the company was great, the food was great, but it was too romantic. It's no point walking down a romantic beach at sunset with hammocks slung between the palm trees and lotus blossoms in bloom if you're on your own. Absolutely. Now, they tell me that cruises breed romance. Cunard once told me that they make a lot of love matches from people who go to their cinema and watch the Titanic. Why, when you're on a cruise? Anyway, they sit next to each other and fall in love. 
Maybe it's whoever they are. Who was it? Kate Winslet. Kate, yeah, and, Jack and Rose, Leonardo yeah. and Kate. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's that, you know. So, so Not it's a great ending, though, was it? So. No, so. no, but, you know, navigation's improved since then. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, you can avoid icebergs. Recently, I went on a wonderful cruise. Who was that with? That was with Saga. It was brilliant. Where did you go? Hunting the Northern Lights. Amazing. And we found them. You saw them. <gasps> they were spectacular. We were so lucky. So that was wonderful. And bless their hearts, they were raising money for the Silver Line. And I just want to say to any of your listeners that there is a resonance for passengers on cruise ships and, and, you know, for the mature travellers in supporting the Silver Line because they actually get it. Because quite a lot of of the passengers has themselves experienced loss and loneliness. And I think the two are often, you know, happen together, particularly if you're bereaved. And I do think a cruise is a wonderful way to travel on your own. Absolutely brilliant. I don't recommend romantic beaches unless you happen to find your soulmate on that cruise. Fair enough. Okay, final question. As a, as a silver traveller, if I could call you oh, that, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think could be improved um, when it comes to booking and going on your holiday? I mean, you've touched on there on a solo holiday, what, what did quite what? work for you, but in terms of the booking and, the, and other things. Okay, well, I think, um, I think we could make it easier to rent cars, maybe. I think it's quite hard for older people to rent cars. What else do I think? I really do think that the holiday industry has, the travel industry, has woken up to us as a constituency. Um, I like open booking, open eating. What do I mean? You know, when you don't have... Open seating? You got it. I knew there was a technical term. Um, I think Saga do that, and I think it's a good idea, because I I have had some disasters sitting next to people who, you know, weren't soulmates. So I think you should let people sit where they like, particularly if they're sitting on their own. Um, Personally, I'm not a great fan of ballroom dancing. Uh, Anyone who saw me on Strictly will understand why. So I tend to sit at the back and try and avoid the gentleman escorts, but they're a good idea. And little old ladies who are better at ballroom dancing than me bob around with great grace. So I like that. I love watercolours. Please, can we have more watercolour painting? I love that. Um, It's probably a good idea if you've got captive audiences to offer IT training because people want to get more familiar with use of computer and that sort of thing helps. Um, I prefer that to classes in how to fold a table napkin or how to wear your scarf but there may be others who prefer the other um uh apart from that the food's important we know that don't we um and um if you can arrange for me a six foot three, 35 year old to sit in the back of the cinema when you're next showing Titanic. That would be inappropriate, wouldn't it? So we won't ask for that, but you know what I mean. I hope the cruise line's listening. <laughs> take note. Let's get Esther on your next cruise. But I do think that, the, that things have improved a huge amount. That I do think the travel trade is aware of the grey pound or the silver pound. And um, I, 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 I congratulate you for making it so much easier because 
even at the advanced age of 78, which I am now, I still like creating memories for myself. And I love going on holiday with my family. So if you can find ways of accommodating all of us so that the one-year-old and the 78-year-old are equally comfortable, then even more families and grandparents will come away with you. But thank you for the memories you've already created for me. Thank you so much, Esther. That's all we've got time for. And be careful how you drink a cup of tea, Esther. Do not <laughs> spit it all over the people sitting next to <laughs> you. Yeah, we've got to right. clean it up now. Yeah, you? sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that. Both episodes of our podcast can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. And if you get lost, you can just find the icon on our homepage and that will direct you to them. The next episode will be out in the coming weeks and we'll be publicising that across all of our channels, so keep your eyes out.